Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what an awesome dum-de-dum. So this must be dum-de-dum, the show about the reality docudrama that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Millers. I'm Roy Phil Brown, who's full of the festive joys, because not only do we have a young person with us, but her name is Christmas. You might think that it's August, but to all intents and purposes, today is the 25th of December, because I'm joined by the designated young person that is Julia Esgate Christmas in Manchester. So this week's Dumpty Dum tune is from Stephen Bowden and on this episode we are lucky enough to hear from lots of caller winners, which is fantastic. There was Hugh, Jen, Brian, Witherspoon, Drew, Charlotte and Sarah from Smethwick on Speakpipe and Gadget Girlie and Mike Jennings via email. 
Plus, we have Tweet of the Week from, of course, our Purple Pumpkin. And we have a social media roundup from our Sandra. She's back, is our Sandra. And just, just before we go on, good people, if you weren't part of the live Zoom that we did uh, with Charlotte Higgins, you know, her from uh, The Guardian fame, you missed out. I must admit, I was a little bit nervous, a little bit nervous. I was properly a little bit nervous. I thought, if you do a dum-de-dum Zoom in a work day, will anybody be there? But of course, I had no reason to worry because everybody that listens to this podcast is retired. Now, young person, suffice to say that you couldn't make it because you were at work. I was indeed, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, was at work, not quite hit retirement age yet. <laughs> um, how many years do you have before you get to statutory retirement age? Because generally, dum dum listeners are practically there already. <laughs> Depends how much they raise it before I get to that age, but I'd say I think about 40 years. Wowza. <laughs> I think you do definitely qualify as being a young person. But before we come on to why the heck somebody who is the right side of 30 will be listening to The Archers, I need to tell you that, of course, towards the end of the show, we have our Facebook roundup. We're going to welcome new members and all of that good stuff. But first, let's look at the week in Ambridge from Arsu, the Queen or Tart. Hello, lovely people. It's Sui, Queen or Tart on the Twitters and another week in Ambridge. You may remember what I said about grand matricide last week. Well, this week we are in danger of great grand matricide after Peggy put her feet in it with her talk of a stained glass window for her two newest grandchildren. Helen got the hump, not unreasonably, about her children being overlooked. Pat admitted that no one understands Peggy, but she does love her family. I was surprised that Kate hadn't come out all guns blazing and talking about bad karma. Maybe that treat is still to come. Anyway, they're refusing the window, that's Tom and Natasha, and so with a bit of luck, Peggy will get the hump and write the whole bridge farm lot out of the will. It won't be the first time. There was a double booking on Monday at the Village Hall and the Scottish country dancers were in full swing. Roy's suggestion was to get Jazza in to negotiate, but Ardil saved the day and agreed to join in with a gay Gordon post-meeting, with Roy and Oliver coming along too. The meeting seemed to say all the right things, but we still didn't find out who the new owners are. There were missing items in the veg box. Tom was being set up for a fall, but it turned out that it was Caitlin. She'd made a lovely salad and strawberries and cream for tea by just taking things out of the customer boxes. Tom was therefore back off the hook. Susan is somewhat touchy on the subject of the Facebook fire, but she's not the only touchy one. Tracy doesn't want to talk about the chicken factory. She doesn't know whether to take up Oliver's offer to send Brad, the mathematical genius, on his winter school. Then came this week's special drama when Ardil realised that Ruby was ill. Justin was a complete twonk about it all, frankly, continuing to talk about a possible partnership with Great Gables instead of worrying about his dog. Oh, she's not his dog. She's Lillian's dog. That's right. Clearly Lillian's dog. But once he got the point, he went into full mama bear mode with a merry dash to the vet and turned out that Ruby has a tumour and needed a blood transfusion and then an operation. Justin tried to chuck money at the problem and was rebuffed. When Ardil asked if Justin's OK, he said, it's fine. It's Lillian who'll be upset. The man doth protest too much. Denise was robbed of Vet of the Year award, according to Alistair. Ooh, the tension between them is, well, somewhat vague, really. Everyone's delighted that Ruby pulled through the operation, but Justice try, Justin tries to brush off any feelings he might be displaying as she's all Lillian's dog. Lillian's dog in a cone of shame. We put ours in a donut of disappointment. 
You're fooling no one, Justin, and Shula's going to be sticking pins into a voodoo doll. He is very much on the naughty step. And oh dear, Shula might be moving. She has a calling and if she gets it, she'll be off like a shot. We will see. That probably means Alice has then got a place running the stables. Mm. Tom still has a sausage business. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear that. Natasha might not have a business anymore after the explosions at Summer Orchard. The vandals of Ambridge are clearly on the rampage. But no, it's merely that the fridge had gone off. Caitlin proved her worth and she had a nice wipe down of the fridges. Lindy has had a complete change of heart about Ardell. She did a total U-turn. Sounds like he'll be up for the pantomime when we get to Christmas and we've got this summer fit over first. We'll have to see. Until next week. You know what? Those Week in Ambridge from Sue, Queen of Tart, are that comprehensive that we might as well fundamentally just stop the podcast straight after them. I don't think you even need to listen to The Archers when you've got Sue's roundup from the week. <laughs> it is blooming comprehensive, Sue. Props to you, missus. Um, but here's a question, though. This is the burning dum dum question of the episode, right? Because, you know, we always have one. You know, what is the burning issue? Right? Don't nod your head because, you know, I've just made it up on the spot. We so don't have one. Right. But the burning question is, why is it that somebody who fundamentally is of the Instagram generation, who is the right side of 30, that is not our core demographic. Why would a young person like yourself listen to the Archers, let alone Dumby Dum? I think it started because uh, I was at a sleepover with my friends. Um, A special shout out goes to Josie, who introduced me to the Archers when we were 18. And we'd had a few wickets. Um, and we put it on before she went to sleep and I ended up staying wide awake listening to the whole omnibus, omnibus for an hour and a half and I absolutely loved it and I think because um, the village that I grew up in part of it's sort of a bit of a farming village everyone knows everyone's business so as I've sort of got older been to university sort of moved away it's always kind of stuck as quite a homey sort of made me feel sort of like that sort of comfort blanket thing that you get in a small well, village. But, but, but here's the thing, though, Julia, like there's a couple <laughs> of things I need to interrogate you uh, with there. Number one, you said your friend fell asleep. So it wasn't the most gripping of omnibuses, was it? Number one. <laughs> then number two, you said that it was an hour and a half. Now, the omnibus is 75 minutes, give or take. Right. So what were you having it on, like super slow speed or something or another? <laughs> I think it was just drifted straight into the next one. So I was still wide awake listening to the beginning of the next week's. Can you remember <laughs> what was the, the key storyline when, when you first listened? Gosh, I think Tom and Kirsty were still together. Yeah, it definitely was. We're thinking back on it. And then I sort of dabbled in and out. And then I got really into it with obviously the Helen and story it you know it was just such a like u-turn for me in listening to the arches it was to address something so important that i just became obsessed but you know you're sounding like a proper earnest archers listener you're <laughs> supposed to say something like you don't like the older characters you um <laughs> identify with the younger ones etc so before we go on to caller in right mm-hmm. how do you feel about the young Casey girls. I think I called in about this and I was getting really annoyed mm-hmm. about how all the the Archers writers seem to make all the young people 
what older people perceive young people to be. So influencers, angry at their parents all the time. They don't know what they're doing with their lives. I'm surprised there isn't a storyline about them not being able to buy a house because they've bought too much avocado on toast. So (laughs) I just really like to see sort of more well-rounded characters. And I do think we are starting to get it a little bit more with um, Chelsea. I know that she could be a bit of a madam, but I think she's fantastic. I'm really enjoying Brad as well since he's come on the scene. And I just think we need that next generation. And I want to be able to grow up with the characters in the same way that the older generation have grown up with the characters. And yeah, I think I'd like to see that. There is the voice of a young person. Hello, Ambridge3962. First off, top of the shop, it's Hugh, who um, I think he agrees with you, fundamentally. Hello, it's Hugh here, second time caller in Very brief one. I just like it when Chelsea says, <laughs> when she's upset, and I really want it for a ringtone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Chelsea. So you said that you like Chelsea. I just love her. The thick accent is just fantastic to start with. Takes after her mother in that respect. I think the sibling relationship she has with Brad, they're such polar opposites that I can almost see sort of my own like sibling relationship happening there. She's a bit bossy. She likes to be the one in charge. And I think that's what I was like growing up with my brother. So I love that. But I do think there's something more to Chelsea. I think we're about to get a big storyline for Chelsea. I do. Yeah, she's got the fairy, well, fashion fairy godmother sort of thing going for her. But I feel like we're waiting for a scandal. They're making us all love her and I feel like we're going to get a scandal in the next year. I don't know what it is, but they always seem to make us love a character for them then to have either a horrible thing happen to them or for them to be in an affair, basically. (laughs) I don't know about that, right? Because if we're dealing with young people or youngish, Johnny, I know we haven't heard from Johnny in a little while now. But Johnny's just nice upon nice, isn't he? There's no side to Johnny. Or like Ben. There's no side to Ben. Ben's just <laughs> nice upon nice. Yeah, they're not as... They are, they're lovely, aren't they? But they've not got the same spark to them as Chelsea. <laughs> are you saying, really, that you just like a little bit of a bad boy? That you get sucked in, sucked <laughs> yeah. in by the by the nice persona, and then they just like do a bait and switch. Yeah, I love it. Live for it. It's my favourite bit. The minute that there was sort of, I think it was last week when there was sort of a, the illusion to what happened mm. at the rave with Russ. I'm all over it. I'm there. Look, something's happened. <laughs> so fundamentally, stories where there is uh, the potential of drug misuse. As a young person, you fully endorse that because that's how young people live their lives. No, not at all what I'm In saying. In Britain 2022. <laughs> not at all what I'm saying, but I do love it when it goes a bit Grange Hill <laughs> or Biker Grove. Um, Hugh, uh, well done for that call, sir. Um, you know what? I love a punch you call me. Uh, and, but also, I love a call all the way from Tokyo, the land of the rising sun. Oh, it must be time for Drew. Hello to everyone at Dumpty Dum Towers. This is Drew calling with a report from the Tokyo branch office. I'm calling about a matter of grave concern. It's probably the biggest social issue that's ever been raised on the archers, and that is the issue of proper inventory tracking and warehouse management. 
Now, I know Tom just spent a whole lot of money redoing the bridge farm app, so he probably doesn't have a lot left over for process improvement consultants. So, Tom, I'll throw you a freebie. First of all, you need to make sure that it's very easy to see where the inventory-controlled parts of your warehouse are. It's not just your employees who are going to be in the warehouse, right? Builders, cleaners, guests, customers, overly enthusiastic mothers-in-law will all be in there. So it needs to be really important for outsiders to be able to know what part of the warehouse is inventory controlled and what part isn't. Furthermore, if you're going to leave partially picked orders out, uh, a lot of people use a printed out pick sheet or packing sheet. Uh, First of all, because that lets you know what you've already picked and what still hasn't been packed into the orders. And second of all, because that makes it really clear that this is a partially completed customer's order and shouldn't be touched. And finally, I can't understand why the partially picked orders were just left out in the open like that. At the very least, they should have had lids on them. Yes, Caitlin was probably not very observant, because really, you should be able to recognize a partially packed shipment's by the fact that each box has a variety of goods in them and isn't just having one SKU per box. However, the shoddy logistics practices at Bridge Farm will certainly prevent the business from growing any further than it already has. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for that, Drew. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel properly educated after that uh, kind of lesson in inventory. And do you do you think, right, we should make sure we do a transcript of this, get it sent over to Tom Archer Toot Suite? I think so. I think we could rely on Drew to be his new business mentor. I've got, I took a leaf out of um, Jacqueline's book with my notes here. Ambridge is such a dangerous place to be at the moment with the very recent arson attack um, why has it not got a lock on the warehouse to stop meddling mother-in-laws going in there? <laughs> well, I suppose it's not so much that places need a lock. They just need to fundamentally be George Grundy proof, don't they? So I think that the people of Ambridge won't miss their letters that are going five minutes up the road too much, as I imagine the people that they know furthest away will be Shula when she moves up north with her new vicarage. <laughs> You're gonna miss Shula. Um, will you miss? Her? She doesn't bring too much to my <laughs> to you my listening be. experience. I will say. Harsh, <laughs> harsh. Thank you, Drew. That's a wonderful call all the way from Tokyo. Uh, we love hearing about the branch office there in in uh, in Tokyo. But now we're going to move to Charlotte. Hello, everyone. It's Charlotte. So this was a ridiculously busy week. Normally, there's only one story in the week, but this week we had exploding apples, we had veg boxes, we had the riding course, we had Ruby's operation. Anyway, I wanted to talk about Ardell and Peggy. So Ardell's a really interesting personality. He calls things out and he listens. Mostly in the arches, they don't listen and there are big misunderstandings. This week, he negotiated with the Scottish dancers, he found out the plan for Ruby from Alistair, and he's been masterful in handling Linda. But it's still really odd what Grey Gables is going to be. So we've got a Michelin star, a performance venue, growing all its own food, and we still don't know who owns it. And didn't they get a vote in whether the event should be at the Village Hall or in Felpersham? And then secondly, Peggy. It sounds as though this is leading up to the end of Peggy, though I did think that before with the rewilding story. Peggy's clearly going to be gloomy to the end. I think that church window was for Jack Woolley, and he only died eight years ago. So when she says it helped her through her troubles... 
Well, she has had lots of troubles over her 103 years, but not that many in the last eight. And also the way she brings up Wren, it's so sad for Tom that his brother John died, and that's hung over him always. And Wren is a great sorrow for Tom and Kirsty, but not for Natasha. And it's really, I worry that she'll bring up those girls always talking about their older brother that they never met. And it's nice that Peggy was being lovely to Tony, but as Pat reminded us, she's been pretty horrid to him before. So she's one of those characters I really will miss, but despite all that quoting religion, she's really not very kind. Hmm. Right, where do we start unpacking things there, Miss Christmas? I... A little pun there, just in case people uh, just weren't <laughs> quite aware. Christmas pun. Keep them there coming, keep them coming. We start with what will Grey Gables be? It's hilarious to know that it's going to be a Michelin star restaurant, but it's going to attract the locals. It's going to bring people from far away. I don't know what it's going to be, but I've got an image in my head, ridiculously gaudy sort of boutique hotel with gold bathtubs with claw feet. And I can't get it out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Did we get though? the bit of information that we really wanted from that whole presentation, which is surely who the hell is the other owner, the the majority shareholder in the business? We didn't get that, did we? Not at all. All the rest (laughs) is just flim-flam as far as I'm concerned. You know, all this, oh, we're going to source locally. (laughs) Well, of course you're going to. You're going to, even if you're not, you have to say that nowadays, don't you? I mean, a wonderful opportunity for people in the village, you know, in terms of employment. Of course, whether that's true or not, you have to say that. We just want to know who the owner is. So I put it to you, young person, that you probably have the inside scoop on this because you've probably worked it out from Snapchatting somebody and then Instagramming. So with that in mind, who do you think the new owner of Grey Gables is along with Oliver? I have to say, I don't know. This has been a topic of discussion with my friend who loves the Archers too. We think it's someone who is going to have gone away for years on end and will come back again Mm. what are your thoughts Mm. you know that's a really good shout and it'd be quite soapy tropey as well that's a very good soap trope isn't it it's someone who you've forgotten about who ruffled some feathers in the village like 10 years ago all of a sudden they come back they go da da people go i can't believe it's doom doom (laughs) doom 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 we're gonna get uh yeah we're gonna get an eastenders moment at the end of an episode (laughs) Uh, what else did, did Charlotte actually say in her call? Because I must admit, I just went off on one a little bit there with my duff duffs uh, for, from EastEnders, and I've completely and utterly forgotten. But I know that you come you come with a studious <laughs> amount of notes here. So um, I have. She spoke about Wren and how that's not nice for Tom, uh, Tom to be brought up, especially after mm-hmm. the birth of um, his two new children. But I also think... Mm-hmm that it would have been nice for Wren to have a tribute in glass, stained glass window form, because then it wouldn't get on the nerves of every other grandchild, great-grandchild. That's a stunningly simple and wonderful and beautiful point, that if you're going to do it for one, you do it in memory of of Wren. And no one could say anything about that. You'd like to think no one could get angry about that. (laughs) Nobody could. I'd hope not. And also, it would be a, a wonderful thing to do for Kirsty yeah. as well. I think it would be a very nice gesture. Crumbs, look at you. <laughs> Thoughtful, compassionate. Jacqueline Berthe, you need to watch out. She's good this one. I'm not She's a patch. Good. <laughs> Are we done with Charlotte? 
I will say that I do think Ardil is incredibly charming. And I think the way he charmed the group at the village hall, he knows what he's doing. He's a businessman. He's a charmer. I like it. I don't fancy Ardil, but I like his charm. (laughs) Well, let's come on to Ardil Shah later because I've got thoughts and feelings about Mr. Shah. But first, we're going to go to Sandwell. Uh, who won It's a Knockout circa 1982. And I'll tell you what, Julia, I found myself yesterday having an Indian meal next to the ex-mayor of Sandwell, which is exactly where Sarah Spilsbury is. Hi, it's Sarah Spilsbury from Smethwick here saying hello to whoever's hosting this week and to Dunty Dunners everywhere. This week I ask, what's wrong with Justin? Okay, so there's... A lot wrong with Justin, but he seems to be going into a whole new, different level of wrong. First, he sabotages his own cross-country course, making it unworkable. Then he doesn't show up for the uh, Grey Gables Expo. He didn't even have to schlep to Felbersham. They had it in the village. They couldn't have brought it any nearer to him than if they'd had it in his own garden. But maybe that's it. Maybe he thinks it's important enough for a private audience. Then he failed to notice that Ruby was ill. Um, despite of actually being very ill and needing lots of immediate attention, despite the fact that Adil, and who couldn't stress his points enough, knows nothing about dogs. Seriously, if he wanted us to uh, know this, he told us many times. But happily, no dogs sustained damage as a result of this week's happenings in the village. And also, who do people think Justin would like to see win the Tory leadership uh, campaign that's taking place here in the UK because we can all work out which party he'd vote for. And on that note, I wish you Tarara bit. Tarara bit. And just so people know, Smethwick is uh, an area in the borough of Sandwell. Just so people go, well, you're the mayor of Sandwell. No, anyway, same place, same place. Anyway, over to you, Julia, young person uh, with the festive. <laughs> so. I have to say, I promise I do like some characters in The Archers. Justin is my least favourite character. Can't stand oh. him. Can't stand him. His, I genuinely could not tell you any of his storylines because when I'm listening, so now that's awful, isn't it? I must admit, I thought the actor went through the gears this week with his panic about Ruby. And I just thought that's actually a bit of a, a, an acting masterclass. Right? He did a very uh, good yeah. job. Uh, but, like, are you seriously telling me if you had to bump off an Archer's character, Auntie Christine, come on, what does she bring? Auntie Cardboard. Yeah, it's Auntie, yeah Auntie Cardboard, Auntie Beige, isn't it? <laughs> there yeah. you go. True, there true. But I agree go. with you. The actor did a fantastic job this week. Really good job, especially mm. he doesn't really care about the dog, really, does he? Let's be honest. I don't think yes, he, he does. does. That was the whole point. It was trying to say that he doesn't care about the dog. Oh, it's just Lillian's dog. When you could see his concern for Ruby. Okay, I think he cares about Ruby a bit. I think he was more concerned about getting a slap on the wrist from Lillian. <laughs> if the dog dies of um, a cancerous growth on the yeah. on a spleen, I think it was. And Lillian comes back, and the dog is just like dead. Right. What can she say to Justin? That's hardly neglect, is it? The dog side <laughs> of cancer of the spleen. Like, that's not neglect. Though, to be fair, he didn't spot how that she was sick. Act- mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And here's another thing. 
are deals like I know nothing about pets. And remember, um, Ruby ran into his room and he was like horrified a couple of weeks ago. Right. Ruby's on his bed and he says, I just like, what is this? What is what the hell's going on here? Two weeks later, all over mm. Ruby. Do you think he's done something to make himself feel guilty about it? Is that why he spotted the signs? I don't think he has it in him. I don't. Well, maybe I've fallen for his charms. <laughs> exactly. You just said you've fallen for his charms. And then now now you're saying that you're somewhat doubting him. This really was the week of Ardil Shard, though, wasn't it? Not only does he deliver this great presentation says, uh, to Alistair and to Justin, like, you know, Justin's losing it. And he says, no, Alistair, what's going on? He took control of that situation, calmed Justin down, got the information out of Alistair. No, she needs a blood transfusion. He's calm under pressure, knows how to give a good PowerPoint <laughs> presentation, can do a Scottish fling, dance, jig, a gay gorgeous, <laughs> and he's a little bit dreamy because, you know, our curse is into him. I put it to you, young Christmas, he's too good to be. <gasps> I don't know. I think... I've been charmed. I think I've been charmed. I've fallen for his charms like everyone in Ambridge will do. Maybe he is too good to be true. Who knows? We'll see. And and here's the thing as well. Linda and Lillian have now come round, haven't they? Right at the end, they're like, oh, <laughs> we were wrong. He is wonderful. I'm going to be the last holdout. I don't believe it. It's too good to be true. We'll see. We'll see. But thank you for that, Sarah Spilsbury uh, from Smethwick, which is part of the borough of Sandwell, of which the mayor of Sandwell, the ex-mayor of Sandwell, who sat right next to me, told me on not one, but three occasions yesterday, the borough was formed in 1974. Uh, we're going to have part <laughs> of Ambridge Pony Club's uh, two calls. So here we go with part uh. Greetings, Royfield, and happy holidays to Jacqueline. Jen here, just calling in. Really, really, really enjoyed Tuesday's episode. I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. The actress that plays Helen is amazing. I mean, the emotion, the rage, the jealousy, the pissed-offness that she managed to get in so beautifully into those two little lines about what's this? And yes, how special. Oh, she's genius. Um, I can't stand Helen. I really, she is absolutely loathe her. And I do think she is being um, a massive hypocrite. Yes, Peggy is being outrageously unfair. There is no question she's being outrageously unfair, giving a gift like that to the twins when she has multiple other great-grandchildren. But this is Peggy. She has been very unfair to her children in the past, and it's what she does. Given that Helen has been the recipient of the unfairness in the past in that she has been given large amounts of cash by Peggy. She has been given perhaps on you know large amounts of time more than anyone else. But she also got offered the lodge at one point when she was a single mother. Peggy told her not to worry, she'd get the lodge. And none of her cousins ever complained about that. Nobody ever kicked off and said, that's not fair. And uh, of course, now that Helen's on the other end of it, oof. You know, I'd be very surprised if this was allowed to go ahead. Um, and it's, you know, end of the day, it's Peggy's money. And if that's what she wants to do, and she sees this as some sort of weird compensation to Tom for having lost Ren, then so be it. That's what Peggy wants to do. She has a right to do it. Mm. We're dealing with uh, a woman who, in the Archers, 
Peggy is not quite 100, though in real life, June Spencer is, what, 103. So uh, this might be hard <laughs> for you to, to grasp, right, uh, being as somebody who's the, the right side of 30, but do your best. Is there any way to put a positive spin on what Peggy has done? Apparently, um, favouriting her two latest great-grandchildren over all the others, and she has a few. Maybe she thinks they're going to be her last. Maybe it's because they're twins and that sort of special, not in the world of Ambridge, it's not very special, is it? Because there's about 50 sets of twins, but to yeah. her, maybe the first ones. Half of the court. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think maybe because she like, like that lovely Jen mentioned, she's done so much for the other grandchildren and great-grandchildren that maybe she shows her love for each grandchild in a different way and giving Helen lots of cash and giving her somewhere to live that was her way of showing love to Helen and maybe she sees Tom that would enjoy it on a more sort of was it rude of me to say superficial level not rude at all yeah that's that's my thoughts on it I think because the, the scene with Tony and Peggy was lovely I actually thought Tony would have said, Mum, this is a wonderful thing. But like, and I know we're here with Seren and Nova right now, but your great grandmother to half the village. What, 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 what about <laughs> them? Because you know? Tony is very close to Henry. You would have thought Tony would have said, Mum, really lovely. But what about the others? I think that was a potentially a missed opportunity because they, you know, they really shared that moment. And it was really lovely that they also talked about his childhood and how his mother realises some of the mistakes that she made and stuff. You know, they're very much kind of at peace mm -hmm. with that. What's also interesting is the good relationship that they have with Helen's two children, despite obviously Peggy not really being a huge super fan of Helen deciding to have Henry in the first place, which reminds me is I don't know how old Henry is now. I remember right. him as this squeaky voice that would appear every so often. Yes, Wob. Yes, Wob. Yes, sorry, Wob. But is he? But how long ago was that? That must have been a good five, six years ago, wouldn't it? Seven I think or eight. He's seven or eight. He has to. Be. Yeah, because he seemed yeah. to voice quite a, a very thorough opinion to Helen about seven. how he felt about it. <laughs> But I just, I can't get to grips on how old he is. I don't know why for some reason in my head he suddenly jumped 10 years and he was about 15 years old and writing a pros and cons list of having a stained glass window in the church in Ambridge. Did Helen actually say Rob? <laughs> Not Rob. Rob, sorry. Henry did a pros and cons. <laughs> no, but I, I feel <laughs> like Henry that's what Helen, Helen would try to put forward that it was all Henry and Jack that were devastated when I'm sure they'd rather just be sat in front of the telly with a chocolate bar than have a stained glass window in the church in Ambridge. Yeah. You know what we've completely forgotten to do? Because I'm such having such a, a lovely natter with you. I forgot to go back to our show rundown, which says after two calls, then the best and the easiest way for you to record a message or a plot prediction is to go to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dum de dum and don't forget the T in the middle. And you can also find a link in the show notes. We need your calls in by 6pm on a Sunday UK time. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes and bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part. We need your help. Uh, there are three things you can do. First off, 
If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe on whatever podcast you're listening to us on. And then if you can, write us a review. Give us a five-star review. If you think we're worth it, that'd be hugely, hugely, hugely appreciated. And finally, the third thing is you can consider becoming a Patreon. Patreon is a way of tipping us creators, and there are different levels with different rewards. If you would just go to patreon.com search for Dumpty Dum, we'd be chuffed to bits to have your support. And good people, whoop, whoop. This episode is sponsored by Verity Pal, who has just become a new patron. Verity, you know what? You are most awesome. We thank you for becoming part of the inner sanctum that is all things Dumpty Dum. Now, before we go back to our calls, don't forget you can send us an email I think we fixed it and we need to thank a dumpty dummer. Uh, her name is Liv Harris, who's got a crack web team fixing dumptydum.com. So last week we said the contact us didn't work. It works now. So if you want to send us an email, quite simply go to dumptydum.com and hit the contact us tab. There is another way which you can also uh, grab hold of us. It's by going on to WhatsApp. Young person, do you like WhatsApp? I do, but I don't like the fact that my mum calls it WhatsApp. <laughs> I quite like WhatsApp. If you have WhatsApp and who doesn't, and you want to send either a voice note or a text, uh, it's plus four four seven nine five seven one six seven six nine six plus four four if you're outside of the UK seven nine five seven one six seven six nine six, and we will get your electronic missive. So do that. No excuses for not sending and contributing to the People's Podcast, the podcast of the people as coined by one Quentin Rayner. Now we go over to Brian Boogie Squires. Hello, all. It's Brian. I've had a couple of goes at this, so if it's been from some that have come through half asked, sorry about that. Peggy, I have given her an awful lot of slack for your age, setting her my ways of her time. Um, so some things, yeah, fine. But I'm surprised, I surprised myself how angry the stained glass window idea has left me. Not the fact that she's ignoring her other grandchildren, not bothered about that. It's just the fact that she thinks that she can act like Lord of the Manor and it's 15th century, she can just go in and have decorate the church to commemorate family occasions. Yeah, babies are nice. But lots of people have babies. They don't all get stained glass windows um, to commemorate the fact that they've been born. So that really, really irritated me. Because I think we've already got one for Grace Archer. And I think there was... Peggy got one put up for Jack Woolley. I'm not sure sure about that one. But uh, that brings a bell in my head for that. Um, you know, you know it's Stevens. It's not just the... Um, Archer family memory book. So it's made my blood boil this week. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave it at that, that, I think. It'd be interesting what you, you feel about it. So um, nice to talk to you. Okay, bye for now. Thank you, Brian. What do you feel about it? I, how does she have permission to put all these stained glass windows in the church? Surely they're sort of already got stained glass windows or they're like listed buildings and you're not supposed to touch them. I just... I don't know where Peggy gets this permission from. I know that, as you said, she's birth path of Ambridge, but 
I just don't know where it comes from. I can't imagine walking into the church down the road from here and being like, um, excuse me, there's been um, a birth of twins in the family and I'd like to put some stained glass in the window. I didn't think it would go down very well. I think you might go down much better than you think. Because I think the church would say, how much are you going to pony up for this, Mrs.? I think that's really how it works, that you give a donation to to the church. And to be fair to Peggy, she's a, she's a churchgoer. Uh, Alan knows her. And it's not, a, it's not as if you go, well, the, here's the design. And it's something which, you know, Giddy Jack has done in crayon. <laughs> Right. And you just put that on. Right. It's going to, you know, uh, the church are going to have some say in the design. They approve, disapprove, blah, blah, blah. You know, this. I'm sure there are, there are conventions. And you know what? This, you know, fundamentally you, you, you're donating to the church. I actually think it's a very beautiful mm. thing to do. Yeah, she's not just like holding like a gun to Alan's head and saying, "Oh, we need another window." You know, you know, it doesn't quite work like that. But it's, it's fundamentally a donation. What she wants to do is just put a star in the window for all of her great grandkids. Mm. There's a simple way around this, really. You'll end up looking like the flag of the United States. There'll be like fifty <laughs> of them, mind you. Just do a window with that amount of stars. Bish bosh bang. <laughs> jobs are good and move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all the parents are happy. There's no fisticuffs between cousins or siblings and other parents, whatever. Everyone's equal. Right. So we said there was, we had part of Ambridge Pony Club. Now it's part of Ambridge Pony Club. Ambridge Pony Club, over to you in Dublin. Well, she's not in Dublin. It's Ireland. <laughs> it's all the same, really. Dublin, Ireland, Limerick, Cork. What's the difference? Anyway, Ambridge Pony Club. Greetings, uh, Royfield. Unusual second call. Uh, Jen here. Um, as Twitter obviously knows, I am a vet. Um, a bit like Usha, small animals isn't really my field. I am an equine surgeon, so a horse surgeon, not a, not a dog and cat vet. Um, but we do study them in college. And so here's the deal. Um, splenic tumour in a dog. Ruby is an unusual breed. Um, we're not sure what bridge he is. The picture that BBC The Archers tweeted was of a Jack Russell. She is a small dog, we know that, and she's not a very old dog. So cancer in, a splenic cancer in that age and type of dog would be unusual in and of itself. Um, then for, there's two kinds of tumour, obviously. You have benign tumours, which are the ones that they don't spread. They just cause a problem locally. And you have metastatic tumours, which are the ones that will kill you. Um, in dogs, it's the rule of two-thirds. So actually, the nasty kind of tumour is more common. If they have a tumour, two-thirds of them will have the nasty one. And then if you look at dogs that need a blood transfusion, like Ruby did, 76% of those, it's because they've got the nasty tumour because the nasty tumour makes them bleed. The benign tumours don't usually, which raises the question, if Alistair's rather cavalier conclusion is correct and Ruby does have a benign tumour, why did it bleed? And there is a differential diagnosis here because if an animal is in an accident or if it's kicked hard, say, off a bed and breakfast bed, for example, 
you can have a bleed in the spleen, spleen, which is called a hematoma. And it's actually quite difficult to tell that from a tumour without doing proper lab tests. So it's possible that what we're seeing here is actually a traumatic injury potentially caused by Ardell. And this might explain some of his rather odd, very, you know, he didn't care about this dog at all. And then suddenly he's driving them to the vet and he's sitting with Justin. And it was him that noticed that the dog wasn't well in the first place, which was all a bit unusual. So um, my my general theory that Alistair is not a good vet was confirmed. Um, when something is bleeding like that, you should be shouting at your nurse to get the suction on, get the blood out of the way, get the thing swabbed and find the bleeder. This sort of vague panic about, oh my goodness, it's going to, to die and I can't see it and I actually need Denise to tell me where to look. Ugh, seriously. Anyway, um, so that wasn't very good. And then telling the owner that, yeah, 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 it's all fine. I looked at it and I know that it's not you know, not a nasty cancer. I mean, come on, you have to do your lab tests. And they wouldn't be back for a few days. And then again, to take a little dog who's been through a lot in 48 hours, uh, blood transfusion, massive bleed, and then just send it. They say, oh, it's having a little sleep and it can go home tomorrow. Yeah, again, dubious vetting. Um, so confirm my conclusion, Alistair is not a great vet. Um and does raise some interesting questions about where that bleed came from. Another theory that Ardil kicked the dog? <laughs> you did mention this kind of before, didn't you? That, yeah. Mm. I also think that was Alistair perhaps getting distracted by Denise? I don't know. <laughs> I did think it was like an episode <laughs> of ER or something. When like, <laughs> pass us up, beep, beep. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I think the patient's crashing, you know, <laughs> and I actually quite like that. Right? I, I, but like, I'm just an old softy. I just want everyone just to, to get on and fall in love. And the, the fact that they were working together under mm. pressure, you know, to save poor, poor Ruby. I was like, yeah, bring it, you know, proper dramatic it was. But I'm definitely not an expert when it comes to veterinary practice. But I did think if you're sending off for blood tests and you haven't got the results, why would you basically turn around to the uh, patient's owner and say, yeah, I think I think we're all good. She's, she's in the clear. You'll say she survived the operation, but we don't know what type of cancerous growth it actually is. You can't just be telling the owner that the dog's going to be fine. Well, you haven't got the lab results back, have you? I just, yeah, that felt a little bit, it all felt a bit mates rates to me that stay open because I want to have my dog operated on. We're mates, Alistair. I'll buy you a pint down the ball later on if you save my dog. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, Justin said, I'll treble your rates, but I do hear you. But like, that's just blind panic though, isn't it? It's blind panic. I think Ambridge Pony Club could well be onto something. And you said, oh, he's kind of, switched on this dog really quite quickly and beforehand you talked about characters who are really too good to be true and then them just having this dark malevolent evil side like Darth Vader and I think Ardil Shah is a dog warrior like he gave Ruby a proper sideswipe. that's what did for a spleen and that's the reason why he's all over Ruby now because he knows 
that mm. cancerous growth. Is and dogs do make that horrible noise when they've landed badly. You know, that horrible squeak that they do. So he might have heard mm. that and gone, oh God, mm. there is definitely something that I've done to this dog. Ardil the dog mm. kicker is going to be his new name. Ardil <laughs> hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Toss salads and scrambled eggs Mercy Greetings, Royfield, Jacqueline, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. This past week, the archers returned its focus to the 50 to 100-year-olds in the village. Coincidentally, I'm in South Florida right now, helping to assess my nearly 92-year-old mother's health status. She took a tumble and fractured her pelvis, and with her increasing dementia, we're putting in a lot more services for her. One's 90s invariably brings on a steep decline in health, but not for Peggy, nearly age 98, nor Jill, who is five weeks younger than my mom. I've highlighted this before. Both are cognitively intact, physically active, and remain contributing members of their families and community. Regardless of what you think of Peggy's gesture of the stained glass window for the twins, myself, I found it a bit odd, but she's religious and I'm not a churchgoer. And I also think it would come across as playing favorites amongst the great-grandchildren. Peggy's love for her family is clear. Dumpty Demmer speculated whether this signals some sort of coda for her. In some ways, it played that way, but I'm hoping that 102-year-old June Spencer continues to beat the odds and keeps on going. Now, on to someone a bit younger, Ardell. Though we don't seem to know exactly how old he is, first dealing effectively effectively with the Scottish dancers of Ambridge, then on to the business community of the village, supporting emotionally repressed Justin, helping four-legged frenemy Ruby, and finally winning over Lillian and the toughest of them all, Linda, Ardell had a very good week. I think it especially highlighted his very high emotional intelligence combined with a very strong business acumen. He's both empathic, but still prioritizes his business interests. I hope nothing nefarious about him emerges and he becomes a permanent fixture of Ambridge. Talk to you soon. Gosh, that was literally everything which you've been saying about him, other than he's potentially a dog slapper. (laughs) Oh, poor Ardil. I really hope he becomes a permanent fixture. He's a really refreshing character and I think it's so nice to have someone who's not interlinked with everyone there. He's just come from this outsider's perspective and he's not grown up in Ambridge's entire life. In fact, he's come from such a different background and I just I just really like listening to him and I think the actor has such a, I think it adds to his charms, his soothing voice. It's a lovely voice. So um, there you go. There's our caller in us, and now it's time for our emailer in us. We had two this week. So this one was from Gadget Girlie. There was a comment that Henry was too young to have a mobile phone. Living in rural Scotland, our son had one at the age of 11. Not a smart one, just one that made phone calls, as it brought him a lot of freedom of movement if he could phone us and tell us what he was up to. And that was from Christine Murdoch Neat Little. Um, on facebook as both uh and she says that's too complicated to explain now i'll tell you very quickly 
very obviously you're a young person you don't even remember a world before mobile phones so this is just like you know you just don't understand (laughs) but there was a world before mobile phones it's a real revelation to me when my daughter Maisha went to school and at the age of 11 last year of junior school or whatever year they call it now I can't remember but it's junior school it's the last year everybody gets my mobile phone as a rite of passage and as soon as one gets one in the class all the kids get one and it is a real symbol of freedom. So, but Henry is uh, much younger than that. And I think we said eight, didn't we, before? Now, considering Dummy Dummy's eight, he must be six to seven. Um, so he can't be eight because he didn't come, he wasn't born at the very start of Dumby Dum. But that that is young, isn't it? That's young really person. young. But I think... Although I've never seen a world without mobile phones, you know, we didn't have one in the house until I was about sort of Henry's age, maybe a bit older, actually. And but the kids know how to, they also, you know, they're given an iPad. They know how to use things better than we do. Let's be honest that they can figure those things out. So he's probably been sat on Helen's iPad since day dot asking Wob to turn the uh, volume up for him. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, it's far too young though. He's probably—he's not going to be going out and playing. Where's he going? You know, six or seven is if we've decided that correctly. I don't know where he's going to be going to mm. get that. But I was—I grew up, as I said, in a small village, and we'd go out and play. And I didn't get a mobile phone until I was at the end of junior school as well for Christmas. Spent all my credit in one Christmas day. That, so thank you for that. Gadget Girly. Next one is from Mike Jennings. Just listening to the latest podcasts and the balance slash volume levels in headphones are fine. TBH. Thank you for that, uh, Mike. And obviously, Mike is um, commenting on the rather scathing review we got uh, from somebody last week who says, Oi, mush, your levels are all over the gap. Uh, the adverts are louder than, well, to be fair, I did say the adverts were louder. Then the rest of the program just says, I hadn't balanced them. And I made the point of saying, we don't put the adverts in and they're supposed to be balanced by ACAST. But anyway, thank you for that, uh, Mike. Made me sleep a little bit more soundly <laughs> in my bed. Uh, now it's time for reviews on Apple iTunes, talking about uh, reviews that we got last uh, last week. And this week we had a sum total of one. And uh, the title of this review is Just Started Listening to Dum Dum really love to see others' opinions and have had some different perspectives, which has meant I've changed my opinions on some characters. Absolute fan of the Archers. Thank you for putting this podcast together. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Oh, three kisses. What do you think's worth more? Because we got a five-star review and it was followed up by three kisses. Which do you think is weighted more? The amount of the three kisses or the five stars? See, as a young person, I only ever use kisses, ironically. So I'd have to say the five stars. Wowzer. (laughs) It's always that you'd say, thanks, hun. Kiss, kiss. As a a bit of a a joke. So I'd say definitely the five stars. And that was a lovely, that was a lovely review. It was a lovely review, but you've just gone and spoilt it now. Oh. Right. You've basically (laughs) said that they didn't mean. (laughs) And also we don't know the age of the person who wrote the review, do we? Because if they're like your age, you know, under you know the right side of thirty. Well, then possibly it was ironic. Yeah, but if they were my age, it was said with said, complete and utter affection. Yeah, and that's lovely. 
But if it was from my age, it would definitely be a a bit of irony there. (laughs) Gotcha. People, that's the reason why we have young people on this show. Uh, to de- decipher <laughs> modern mores for us. So what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Let's find out with our Sandra. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wick began with the storylines about the cross-country course and Peggy's idea about commissioning a church window for the twins. Matthew Horsepool felt that Sunday's episode was preparing us to say goodbye to Peggy. Witherspoon summed up the thoughts of many when he said that Pat's final words of an episode did sound like some sort of valedictory for Peggy. Charlie Bird believes that Peggy moves in mysterious ways and other members had a few choice words to describe her. Kate Lyle, amongst others, was upset for Peggy's other great-grandchildren. There was also some discussion about the process of having the window agreed, and Nick Roworth informed the group that any change would require a faculty. I did look that up. Tom Reese explained that honouring a living person is problematic. Wendy Rowcroft wondered whose interests were being served here. Mm, That's a difficult one. John Ellis made a pertinent comment. Tom, don't think about getting a job in the diplomatic corps. Well, I think we can agree that Tom handled the discussion with Helen very badly. Lillian McCarthy was surprised to hear that Natasha was pleased about the window. Me too. In a discussion about the Grey Gables presentation, Kate Lyle thought that Jack Woolley should also have something named after him. That, of course, led to speculation about the new part owner. Jean Bell said that her nightmare was that it was Hazel. Yep, a nightmare indeed. She also suggested that there should be a Kathy Linen cupboard. I know nothing about horses and riding, 
but others do. Sarah Farmer said that two old codgers like Justin and his pal couldn't suddenly alter an XC course. Griselda Cowan said that it's such nonsense on so many levels that she has decided to ignore all that's wrong and enjoy the story. Yep, that sounds like a sensible decision to me. In response to a comment by Sally Lakin, Griselda agreed that Justin is an idiot, but he could no more change from original plans than to take over from a surgeon conducting brain surgery. Yeah, I certainly did wonder why the designer agreed to make the changes. And again, there has been speculation about the relationship between Alistair and Denise. Although Jill Bowles wondered, why can't folk just be really good friends? Well, it's sounding much more cosy than that, Jill. Obviously, there has been some discussion about who could look after the stables in Sheila's absence. Any guesses, anyone? Well, that's all from me from now. Bye. Sandra, corking awesome job you've done there. And being as we're on Facebook, it's time for us to welcome our new additions and new Facebook members to the group. So this week we had... Babita Tanner. Blair Hicks. Jane Stoner. And Vivian McCall. We welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. We are also on Twitter under Dum Dum. Our team always includes the archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired can enjoy any archers based tweets. Also, that hashtag is your gateway to the hugely enjoyable tweet along. Please also try and include at Dumpty Dum in your tweet so more people can get to see, which helps to keep our community growing. As well as at Dumpty Dum on the, on the Twitters. Are you on the Twitters, Miss Christmas? I am indeed. I am indeed. I don't tweet not? about the archers because... What's the point of being on Twitter if you're not <laughs> going to tweet about the archers? Uh, just like, <laughs> I, I don't understand. What else can you do on Twitter? I do like to stalk through the archers' tweets, but with sort of all of my friends who follow me, I think they'd be absolutely sick of me talking about the archers on there as well. <laughs> but if you want to follow me, it's at J-A-E-S-Gate, but can't promise any archers-related content on there. Are you embarrassed about being a fan of the Archers? No, but people do. No, there's a deep river of shame running through you. Because why wouldn't you loudly and proudly be on Twitter and say, I am part of six million people globally that each week listen to the Archers? Just come out, come out the closet. (laughs) It's nice in the sunshine. Come on. (laughs) I think because... I've got my one friend my age to talk about it and now I've sort of got this dumb to dumb community. My friends would just be unfollowing me left, right and centre if I started tweeting about apples exploding in a garage. Hashtag the archers. (laughs) (laughs) But are you going to go onto social media and not mention that you've co-hosted... Don't you a worry. A massive podcast. <laughs> well, then you're going to have to out yourself as an Archers fan, aren't you, Miss Christmas? Just saying. I will. I, do you know what? I actually outed myself in the sort of, you know, the Spotify roundups they do at the end of every year. And my mm. most listened to podcast was The Archers. And it was Dumpty Dum. And then it was actually Dumpty Dum second, if that's. But yeah, well I got laughed at for that. So don't you worry. This will be shared on Instagram stories and Twitter as well. 
just same as Christmas, but being a fan of the Archers, it is for life. It is, you know, and uh, you really should uh, just uh, be out and proud. But anyway, now uh, you've been shamed into um, <laughs> proclaiming your love of all things Ambridge. Let's go to tweet of the week. Hello, Royfield. Maybe no Jacqueline this week, and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of tweets of the week. And thanks as ever to those of you sending at Dumpty Dum your nominations of notable tweets. Please do keep them coming. The Twitterati were extremely erudite this week, with Miranda at, at Apple Android app suggesting that Peggy's interest in the stained glass window is to boost her odds in Pascal's wager which, as you may know, is betting on the existence of God as a better way as you come to the end of your life rather than taking a chance on atheism. Uh, Blush unseen at the moping owl compared Peggy to someone in Barchester Towers. And Stephen Bowden at Wenlock House was commenting on Ambridge Analytica's bagel of top archers tweeters with it is a far far better thing that you tweet than you have ever tweeted it is a far far better bagel you go to than you have ever known there's a great visuals thread started by Richard Listening at Long Waverer who posted a picture that looks like Ambridge and many people had fun spotting what might be going on and who's in it but it's picked to the award of my thread of the week this week by one started by Miranda at Apple Android app. She's had a busy week. She said, let's get creative. Imagine a window designed to commemorate your favourite character from the Archers. What symbol or words would you choose? It's worth taking a look. There are many great suggestions, but I'll pick out a couple. Barbara Williams at Bramley Barb immortalised Linda with a shepherd's hut, two llamas and the word resurgam. And our own Ambridge Pony Club, Jen Stephen, who showed a great knowledge of the saints in various suggestions, but also included Peggy on a camel with a needle in her hand. Do take a look if you're on Twitter. Now to the medals for this week. In bronze position, it's a tweet from Dumpty Dum favourite Bernadette Hawkes, aka Queen Bee, at ArchersFan2015. Ardil looking less and less like Vlad the Impaler as time goes on. In silver, it's Eliza Bennett at Eliza Bennett 3 with poor Ruby. She belongs to Justin and Lillian and now this. And in gold, at last, I know he's been waiting for it. It's Stephen Bowden at Wenlock House. New stained glass window in St. Stephen's Parish Church, Ambridge. Very average design, unsuitable location, two stars. That's it for this week. See you all again at the next Tweet Along. Thank you for that, Purple Pumpkin. Wonderful tweet of the week. Now, there is another social media platform which I believe you young people quite like. It's called the Instagrams. So um, <laughs> if you're on the Instagrams, you can follow us where we are at Dumpty Dum. Now, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that you're quite big on the Instagrams, are you not, this Christmas? I do use it, but I'm definitely not a Steph. I'm not an influencer at all, no. It seems a bit too exhausting. Not yet, you're not. <laughs> I actually think you could be an Archer's influencer on there. I think the field for an Archer's influencer is going to be pretty open on Instagram. <laughs> I'll be tweeting the BBC later on this week if they need some representation from the uh, slightly under-30s group. I'm, I'm your girl. Smashing. 
you come out of that closet. <laughs> uh, the next bit's in red, and I believe then we can start to wrap up. Not even start to wrap up, we can wrap up the podcast. Oh, lovely. So thanks as ever to all our contributors and to our social media supremos, Shambridge for her voices, and to our podcasting godmother, Lucy V. Freeman. Many thanks to P and Q for their sterling work in the last year. It was fantastic to listen to you both. There you go. Job, jobs are good. And awesome. Look at you. <laughs> Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 